Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose-driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au. I think Super is an incredible example of progressive capital. Um, Melbourne, at the centre as well, attracts talent of the likes of which have a purpose and they it's it's an incredible gathering of people who know the power that we can bring and it's about the financial returns we're fiduciaries in the end and we know financial returns will flow from a responsible investment practice welcome back to the pod and great to have you with us as always well those were the powerful words of mary della hunty Mary is the Head of Impact at Hester, as well as Councillor at Glenira City Council and a former Churchill Fellow. I connected with Mary after seeing her speak at the recent VCOS Budget Briefing Breakfast. This was a fun chat and great to connect with a fellow Elstonwicker, where we talked about the local community, the power of super to spur social change, and how progressive organisations are tackling gender inequality. A big shout out this week to our awesome sponsor, Mountains and Marathons. This is the final week where you can take the opportunity for Jamin and Jen to fly you to and from Honolulu, valued at $1,500, as part of the Honolulu Marathon Leadership Program. This is an awesome opportunity to transform your life and leadership. Just head to mountainsandmarathons.world slash Honolulu to learn more. In the Where Did You Hear About Us section, just enter Humans of Purpose to cash in on this amazing opportunity and for those free flights to paradise. If you're keen to promote your products or services with Humans of Purpose, you'll be able to connect with our growing audience of 3,000 plus subscribers and 10,000 plus online community. 70% of our audience are urban living millennials who are full-time, senior in their professions at that manager level or above, and 60% do enjoy purchasing goods or services promoted on podcasts. To learn more, just head to humansofpurpose.com.au, check out our updated podcast PDF, and I've popped a link in our show notes too. You can always email me at hello at purposeful.com.au. As always, I want to send a special thank you and shout out to our, our Patreon supporters, Misha D and wife, Joel F, Stuart M and McCartan. Your ongoing support uh, each month has been tremendous for Humans of Purpose and helps us grow and perform each and every week. To learn more about becoming a Patreon supporter of the podcast, just head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. So great to have you with us. So thanks so much for joining me, Mary. Hi, nice to be here. So Mary is the uh, head of impact at Hester, as well as a councillor in Glenira City Council, Mm -hmm. former mayor Mm -hmm. of Glenira City Council, and a proud Elstonwicker. Absolutely. Love the village. And live nearby. So uh, one of the things I loved about obviously meeting you a few weeks ago and hearing you speak was to get the local Elstonwick insights and have that banter around where the good restaurants are. Yeah. Well, they're everywhere. Yeah. 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 But but there's a few of us who know, you know, the certain good good. How much should we be disclosing on this podcast about the good places? Yeah, I think nothing. Yeah. Otherwise, you and I are never going to get a table again. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep this. Let's let's shelve that for the moment and jump into other matters. (laughs) Uh, In as much or as little time as you like, please take me into your journey into sort of where you're at today and Mm. talk a bit about your history and uh, some of the formative moments in your um, really, I think, quite fascinating journey. Mm. Well, thank you. And thank you for saying that it's fascinating. I think um, 
I'm increasingly aware because I have honest friends and um, I'm never invited to barbecues anymore that perhaps superannuation is a little bit boring. <laughs> but it is um, – it's a really happy home for me because it is uh, – it's somewhere that I can work using my financial skills, but it's it feels really purposeful and it has um, a long history of being almost like a social movement and I feel like it's unfinished. And where I am at Hester, um, we've got a really strong advocacy program about how to finish off the system so that it it, it creates dignity for everybody. So a million years ago, um, I I have a finance background and I was working for um, an offshoot of the stock exchange and perpetual trustees in this registry business. And it taught me a lot about the back end of finance and the listed company world which was um, fascinating and not particularly aligned to my values. And then we happened upon uh, a superannuation back-end back office as well and I got to know the industry fund movement pretty well. And after um, I had my third child and I um, ran for council and finished a master's in that year, a job came up at Hester and I thought, I don't really care what it is, I really want that job because the industry funds are um they're they're gutsy and they're bolshy and they are they remember who they're supposed to be and Hester in particular. There was a CEO at the time and I used to watch her sit on industry panels, Anne Marie Corboy and she was a giant of the movement. I used to watch her sit on industry panels and she would um whilst others were sort of waxing lyrical and, and you know, wondering about how to fix the system, she would just cut straight to it and say things like, well, you have to pay women properly. And, you, and she she managed to draw a really um, even line between women's working life and what retirement looks like. And so you can work in superannuation these days in a role like I have and actually be making people's lives better, not just by helping them save more but by helping the system improve. There's not a whole lot she can do for women in health and community services beyond systemic change that will help their lives improve in retirement. I think that's so interesting how you talk about the jump from working in an industry that you didn't feel that passion mm. for or maybe wasn't perfectly aligned to seeking out a place, yeah. um, not necessarily based on a role you wanted, but because of that sort of values alignment. Mm. What was it like when you arrived and sort of shifting into that oh, mode of work? I was, uh, well, I, I vividly remember the interview. Because I'd, so I'd come from um, to take nothing away from the stock exchange or perpetual and and other employers. There is a lot of men in finance, um, and I'd had babies, and I think I'd you know I'd felt a little pigeonholed from um, that experience. And I walked into the doors at Hester, and I was interviewed uh, by the CEO who was a woman, the deputy CEO who was a woman, and the head of HR also a woman. And there was no need to paint the values on the walls; they were just there and living it and you know it was a tough interview and they asked me difficult questions and I felt like I would just do anything to impress them because they were who I wanted to be so that from that day forward um it it, there is no and and the industry funds are a lot like this uh there is no um sort of outward uh need to keep talking about the values you just live them well, that not that sort of – I mean, there's a lot of speculation or, I guess, suspicion around the, the value of values, yeah. for lack of a better yep. way to put it. So I think it's always do you uh, walk the talk? Mm, absolutely. What And we talk about a lot about culture. There's a really strong culture um, in industry funds and it's, it's, it's much to be admired and protected, although it needs to – we know we need to grow and morph as we get bigger. But it's not about, again, writing it down. It's about what you do when no one's looking. 
Yep. It's just the way we do things. It's um, the way things are done around here. Yes, and they're done with the member in mind all the time. So, And we've seen uh, recently, you know, trust really been tested in the financial services industry and, uh, and, and industry funds have come through that deservedly very well because you can't you can open the door of any one of them and find that somebody is talking about the member well i think the the um the premium on honest speak which is what i want to call it is very high when trust is very low so the way that you're able to talk about exactly what you believe um shines through Mm. but you're also i guess um having to uh, backpedal or swim against the torrent a little bit of a lot of other major banking and financial institutions preaching about how purposeful they are despite ripping a lot of people off so there's challenges in that too i suppose you know um having an authentic voice that Mm. is separate and different um but but without being dragged down by maybe some other uh, unethical actors Mm. my role in the as in the impact space is really about uh, aligning everything that we do so you'll find i guess some of our um more traditional competitors in the retail space, they do have good things going on internally. So they might have um, some really nice CSR programs and um, a, a, and some good, say, um, you know, no interest loan schemes and things like that. But that doesn't wash away um, some of the bad cultural and, and systemic issues that yeah. are in the major parts of the of the business. I liked how you described that when we caught up for coffee, actually, just, um, you know, what, what one hand is doing, the other one should not be just trying to Clean that one dry yeah. because then it's a net zero exactly. effect. Exactly. So to have impact, to have true impact across all of the things that you do, yeah, that's that's the key. So it's about consistency and alignment to mm. a, a clear shared purpose across the organisation. Yeah. And Hester's really leading that charge in trying to um, align our activities, make sure that they're, they're themed so that we're truly setting the agenda and using a language that um, it's quite common in, in international pension schemes to to use the sustainable development goals to really move ourselves in that direction. And do you think, I mean, it does look to me as an outsider that the, the super um, funds are moving more into this space of being clear about what's screened in and screened out, mm. uh, having more of a position on social and environmental issues. Yep. Uh, it's a bit different to maybe what it was five or ten years ago. Oh, absolutely. So about 15 years ago, the principles of responsible investment were launched in the United Nations and we were one of the first signatories and that that sets the scene. But it, um, as you say, there's been a maturing of the approach to responsible investment. ESG, as people sort of refer to it, mm. is really a risk screen these days and um, certainly in the way in, we, which, in which we do business, that's, that's um, it, it's business as usual. So we will screen out risks um, for environmental, social and governance reasons. But the new world also looks for opportunities. Yep. So if sustainable finance is is moving, where are the, where are the big opportunities to be um, first so you, place for that? You're not just talking about there about avoiding investments mm. that do bad but proactively looking at investments that create good and positive value. Absolutely. Um, and and why wouldn't why wouldn't we really? We understand that we're investing for the long term. And so we've got, you know, 30 longer year horizons. We know that we can actually shape that world if we move now. So if what gets measured gets done, yeah. how do you, what's that process like? Because that's a bit daunting. You've got oh, some lofty goals and maybe talk a bit about what your priority areas are, where you mm. want to see change and then what it's been a bit like in trying to figure out how to navigate that change. It's a rabbit hole, I tell you. And um, 
it's not something that I don't think it's something that it, most people are overly familiar with. Impact measurement as a whole is an emerging um, piece of, uh, of thinking and academic work and you can do it really simply or you can um, you seemingly have a number of um, people stuck in a room trying to do it very in, very in depth. But at the heart of it, we need to measure what we've currently got in the, in the portfolio, see what it's exposed to. We need to run scenario analysis, so what in a two-degree world, in a 2.5-degree, 1.5-degree world. Mm. Um, and then we need to understand the investable universe and then we need to move t- towards that. So so one thing that came out of that was um, climate change. Mm-hmm. What are your other priority areas? So we look a lot um, at governance mm-hmm. and um, we understand that we have almost an obligation to ensure that we we have to lift the governance standards of the companies in which we invest. And so we do that through um, insisting on diversity. Diverse companies make better decisions. Diversity can be displayed at the board level and at the executive level. And we've been really front-footed in in making sure that um, our our companies understand that and our supply chain understands mm. that too. So you can you can be an exemplar of that and how you shape Hester mm. and is that one thing and then also um, – choosing to deal with organisations or investments that share that sort of approach? That's exactly right. Exactly right. So we can't um, wag our finger at a company without keeping our own house clean and uh, diversity at Hester is something that it's sort of in our DNA. And so we've got um, practices that that make sure that we're, you know, top of the pops in terms of um, being an employer of choice. Our CEO is an equal wage ambassador. We have diversity at all levels. We have... um, uh, gender-blind parental leave and um, family violence clauses in the EBA and we think we are an exemplar in that mm. way. So then we get to turn our attention to our supply chain to be able to say, so to do business with us, uh, we think that you need to display these values as well. Yeah. And we understand that you can't go out and do that tomorrow, so tell us about your pathway. Yeah. And we've done that in the fund management space, which is interesting because it's got a really low um, well, gender diverse. Yeah, and I suppose a really low literacy around um, the nature of the issues and why they're important to be solved. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. So instead of it being a nice to have, we're able to put it in financial return language. Yeah. So, yeah. We know that diverse companies make better decisions, therefore better returns. Yeah. So making the business case yeah. is a successful way to influence that mm. social. Change. And luckily, there's been a lot of measurement on that, and there's yeah. been yeah. And so we we don't have to do the academic research; we yeah. rely upon it. And so th- that makes me want to jump a bit back into. Time to your Churchill uh, ah, yeah. Fellowship. Can, can you talk a bit about that? Yes. In um, 2015, I was awarded a Churchill Fellowship for the study of um, gender equality in international pension systems. And it really was about trying to figure out how we stopped having the conversation that women need to just put more money in their super. So to go back in time from there, I was sitting at a um, Oh, yet another, you know, women in super sort of um, let's wring our hands together and figure out this problem. And and we're good at this in super. We do get together and we, we talk about systemic change. Um, and speaker after speaker talked about um, acknowledge the gap, the gender retirement gap, which is massive, mm. um, and talked about the ways in which either employers or women could fix it. And an economist got up by the name of Richard Dennis, who I have a massive crush on, and said, and he was. <laughs> Shout out to Richard Dennis. Yeah, totes. And he was sort of the biggest feminist of the day mm. and basically got a bit angry with us and said, if you're going to sit here and accept this, I can't help you. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, yeah, good point. Um, 
Yeah, a little harsh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. So um, you know what this is? It's actually in most other countries I started doing some research. They have, there's compensatory measures mm. for women who have to take time out of the workforce. So we've got this system that's predicated on the amount of time you spend in the workforce. And there's a, a, one gender who, to raise the next generation of taxpayers, yeah. will spend time out of the yeah. workforce. And that, that time is not valued. The time's not valued, at not at all compensated, yeah. um, not in the retirement system. And not, and not only that, because we face discrimination in the wage growth, uh, that, that the way the system relies on what the amount of money you earn, you, you sort of, it magnifies over mm. time and then mm. you get this entrenched poverty in retirement. Yeah. And we're sitting there with a group of um, health and community services workers. So these people are skilled and they're nurses or they're um, aged care workers. And so they've dedicated their lives either in a paid capacity or an unpaid capacity to looking after other people. Mm. Are we really okay as a country that... Mm they are po- impoverished in retirement. Yeah, that's what they end up. Like, yeah, that's their lot. it's just not all right. Yeah. And we're a very rich nation and I think we can do better than that. So I went um, and studied a couple of systems, different systems, went to um, Denmark and had a look at what they did. And instead of looking at the system itself, I was looking at the people who lobbied for changes mm. and how they did it and how you build a movement. Yeah. From... Um, from Copenhagen to uh, Brussels to the trade union movement, heart of the trade union movement, to Paris to um, the heart of the feminist movement in Paris, over to the US. The US don't have um, don't have a great system, but still have compensatory measures at the end. And then down to um, South America to Chile, and the Chilean system is where I found probably the most in common. Oh, that's where Australia. I'm going at the end of the year. So oh, well, you'll you love like it. You probably tips. won't do the retirement, you know, stuff that I did. But... <laughs> I'll be doing less uh, super and inequality yeah. analysis, but I'll probably get a beach or something if there are beaches. But uh, no, I do want to, yeah, no. It's, it's, um, it, so it was really a global project. Yeah, it was a global yeah. project. And I came back to Australia and we delivered um, and delivered the research findings. And at the same time or simultaneously, uh, there was a Senate inquiry, which was which began to look at um, the systemic failings and how mm. we may mm. address them. And so we made submissions to the Senate inquiry as well. So, so um, I suppose a really important part of the whole thing is having actionable research. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something that can actually propel change. Yes, and then to and I think I spent the next year more probably. Um, talking at people until they would no longer be my friend. And is that, is that what the is that like an effective method from yes, overseas? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. And I think we have changed the conversation from if women put $20 a week more in to the system needs mm. to change. Mm. And that was that was the goal really. Yeah. And to build um who are the voices of the movement that make the system change. Yeah. And it is the industrial partners, but we ha- I had to find the language so the industrial partners I mean unions and you know, um, stakeholders from that sense, but also had to find the language that that roped in um, peak bodies and uh, and just people in general. Why, why do yeah. you care about this? Yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. So, um, on that, hmm. is it more economic or social uh, justice and equity? What, what are the messages that tend to resonate? I think there's um, a touch of both. There's an element of both, and depending on what audience you're in, you yep. can make a very strong argument economically. Hmm. And I think you don't need to say much more than that nurse that helped you out the other day is underpaid mm. and impoverished mm. in retirement. Mm. And you find the social arguments resonate well, but it's about um, then turning people to the actions they need to take. Yeah, right. 
And so we spent a lot of time and, you know, as I said before, I'm increasingly aware that super is really boring, but we spent a lot of time just saying, uh, look, this little thing needs to change, this little thing needs to change, this little thing needs to change. How did all of that research shape sort of where you landed on things like uh, quotas and sort of other measures that, mm. that might be used for sort of corrective action? It's certainly um, narrowed my focus and um, I think it's given strength to my belief that we're actually, we need some forward positive affirmative action. Yeah. Yeah. To address things, yeah, because there's obviously some structural issues at play that, yeah. um, are, you know, keeping things as they are, absolutely, and you can't really address them without it first acknowledging them, and then you know, making um, decisions that might not look, you know, fully rational on paper, mm. but that they need to be done because you know, otherwise we're not going to get anywhere. Absolutely, yeah, and it's may, oh, maybe this is age, but also yeah. it's increasing exposure to. Um, the feminist movement, but it's made me realise that there is um, incredible unchecked privilege in this country and others, and the way you deal with that is by evening the score. So... Um, but that so that's an interesting conversation because this actually came up. I told you a little while ago that I'm I'm doing this Williamson program thing, yes. which is really uh, fascinating. It's um the, the topic at the moment is privilege for that program. There so you go. Tomorrow and the day after we'll be examining that in detail. But one of our participants um, sort of posed the, the vexed question of if the other side, if, if there's on one side of the coin, there is uh, leveling the playing field a bit by taking, you know, um, affirmative action mm. or, sorry, that's probably the wrong wording, but taking positive, clear steps mm. to get the mix right. Well, then there are going to be a bunch of um, men and other kind of majority groups who are going to inevitably lose out yep. or kind of be pushed out of, pushed off the perch. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do, what do you think about that? Or is it, I mean, he got, Look, I, think I think welcome to the world. Yeah, well, well I mean, it was, it's just really interesting how it is. that came up because I think that's, mm. yeah. I mean, Well, power is not and, and equality in, in itself is not a zero-sum game. Yes. There was this um, experiment done uh, and uh, you've got to fact-check me, but okay, so there was a UK teacher. This is not a fact-checking podcast. <laughs> Someone will fact-check me. This is an unsolicited conversation. <laughs> oh, good. I'm yeah, just going to make yeah. stuff up then. There was, <laughs> a, uh, there was a teacher in the UK and she conducted an experiment to um, which uh, illustrates what, exactly what we were talking about. So there's a classroom of um, equal number boys and girls and for um, a period of time she called on the boys more than she called on the girls. Mm. She then announced to the classroom that the boys' voices had been overly heard mm and that she was going to even the score and call on people um, in turn by gender. Now, the boys in the classroom complained. So what she is doing is literally making things equal. Yeah. But the boys see it as a loss. Yes. Because it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I, I think that's a great point. But but I do think with every policy adjustments, there are winners and losers. But the, 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 if in the interest of um, a better outcome for everyone, sometimes you have to wear that mm. because, you know, looking at it the other way, um, women have worn so much for, the, yeah. for the, the hidden cost and benefit for men to mm-hmm. succeed in the workforce that that's part of the structural disadvantage is that that un, uncompensated or undercompensated um, hard work that the women have done historically to, to raise strong families. Families, yes. Um, men have sort of had that sort of free rider effect, or absolutely. So the, the value? with the winners and the losers, mm. some people have been winning because they're in a different race, yes, and, or they're starting at a different starting yeah. point. 
So that's that's not okay. We're just Mm. asking to be Mm. in the same race with everyone at the same starting line. And with privilege, you move up, you move away from the starting line Mm. and closer to the finish line. Mm. So I have um, a lot of exposure to young to youth groups in my counsellor role, and it's really uplifting. But sometimes it worries me. What we've done with the younger generation now is created these incredibly bolshy feminists mm. in our young girls, and they will say things like, "I don't need a quota," mm. because they believe that they are equal to men, and they are. What we've failed to explain to them, or they haven't had exposure to yet, is that. That actually doesn't matter yet. Mm, mm. And until we have um, equal meritorious decision-making, mm. it won't matter. Mm. So they do need quotas because the blokes that they are uh, competing against have already started the race. Yeah, yeah. So it's about getting – I mean, the race anal- – the the running a race yeah. analogy and different starting positions I think is the best analogy mm. to explain – Privilege and I suppose inequality yeah. in many aspects yeah. of Australian life. And I sit yeah. here as an educated white woman with a really um, strong family, so I, I've had privileges as well that mm. that uh, I haven't deserved. And so, I think when you're privileged, your obligation is to recognise it and then lift everyone else up as many people as you can to the level that you that you're at through and- no through through really no hard work, just through luck of how you were born. um, On that, I mean, we'll jump back to this, but it strikes me that a couple of the issues that you're really passionate about and working in, so um, valuing uh, the work of women inside and outside the workforce and also um, getting people to care more about climate change as sort of social justice issues where where it's really hard to quantify or measure um, the cost and therefore action is often not taken. Yes. Is that that sort of always been... Yes. A, a conscious consideration. Oh, well, now that you've put it like that, yeah. it feels so. <laughs> I'm going to cl- crawl back into bed. <laughs> um, Please don't. Yeah. It, no, you're right. Um, they are, these are um, almost intractable issues. That- yeah. So, because I, I only noticed that because they're mm. the same issues that I care about. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the things that are really work, worth working hard on, I believe, are the ones that are really hard and endemic problems. Yes. So, yes. they're the ones that you can't just sort of throw money at and solve. No. Um, and and, and they, some of them need to be government led. So, no matter who um, sits in the big house in Canberra, you have to deal with them. Yeah. And I mean, on that, you, you sit at a very interesting position as sort of as a councillor, but also, you know, in local government and also having the, the role at HESTO is a really important role. Mm. Um, how do you kind of think about who are the influences in the game? Because government's obviously got its policy settings. Yeah. Um, as local government, you can do a fair bit, but business can play a big role. Mm. Uh, is super going to be the driver of a lot of the social change we need to see? I think super is an incredible example of progressive capital. Mm. Um, Melbourne at the centre as well attracts talent of the likes of which have a purpose and they it's it's an incredible gathering of people who know the power that we can bring. And it's about the financial returns. We're fiduciaries in the end. And we know financial returns will flow from a responsible investment practice. Yeah. So the power of superannuation is not to be underestimated. And that doesn't mean that we are political. It means that we are um, we are universal asset owners. We are so big we own parts of the system. We own parts of the economy. We don't just own assets. And so the way in which we act has that holistic view to mm. it, which is why we take into consideration climate change. Yeah. 
And so we'll have an advocacy ask of the government, but in absence of the um, policy settings, we will move anyway because our investment horizon is such that if we didn't take it into consideration, we would not be doing our duty by the members. So as part of all of this um, about getting people to see themselves as stakeholders in systems issues like Mm -hmm. uh, gender inequality and uh, climate change? Well, it is now that you put it like that. That's a really articulate way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. I think I think that is a, that is a great way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm basically sort of stealing a little bit of ideology from a previous guest, Alan Schwartz, who you, you may know. Mm, yeah, doing some very interesting work trying to um, the Universal Commons project. Yes, trying to allocate a certain amount of value to every citizen on the planet. Yeah. to our natural resources so that we use them more responsibly. It, it's a really interesting concept, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fascinating, and I think he's. Um, getting more and more developed in that thinking because it's such a big idea. Mm. It's a helicopter idea. Yeah, he's, he's down the rabbit hole with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's your, he could be a real partner in crime on something yeah. like this. So <laughs> I have to make that connection if I can. He's promised me a, a part two podcast. So oh, really? He did, he did a part one earlier in the year and then I, I imagine he, he's got more than two parts in him too. I think he has multiple parts <laughs> and that's, that's part of the problem. <laughs> you only get people to commit to so many parts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, no, fascinating concept. But you're right, it is about seeing – your role in the system, um, understanding that you can shape the system. There's we've we've got this. Oh, I've sort of keep saying to myself mm. at Hester, look, people really do bother to take a keep cup somewhere. If they mm. bother to take a keep cup somewhere, they're definitely going to worry about where their super is. Yeah. If they worry about where their where their super is. What other cons- what other consumer actions do they take in that? And yeah. it gets bigger and bigger. And there's that um, saying by what's his name Arthur Ashe: Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Mm. And the more that you increase the sphere of influence that you can operate in, the more you can actually do. Well, I think also the the, the fact that um, pro- ethical product choices signal about the type of person that you are and who you want to be. Yeah. So if I, many of our listeners, I'm sure most of them would be keep cup or uh, replacement replaceable cup mm. owners. Mm. Uh, they'd be who gives a crap buyers and yeah. thank you water stocking people. They might be power shop customers. Um, you know, that is the sort of archetypal, I don't want to, it's a bit cliche, millennial or uh, young change mm. maker mm. typology. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's kind of like a, the next logical extension a little bit to think about what is my money that isn't right in front of me doing yeah. for my future. Yep. Yep. And hopefully that helps people engage with their super mm. as well mm. because it can be really powerful. Now the um, the I, I guess other elements to that is that we believe that sometimes you can as we um, a fifty billion funds under management that we can shape the system and um, there are other players in the market that believe they need to exit it in order to to make a statement. Yep. So the divestment versus active engagement is a really interesting conversation. So do you, do you then also see yourself as like an industry advocate for that positive systemic change that you're looking for? We, we are. Yeah, absolutely. We are. Um, we, we vote our proxies. We engage with companies either directly or through our partners. And we have, um, examples of how we've changed companies' behaviours mm. because we've stayed owning mm. them. Mm. So there's a maturing conversation about that, which I think young consumers need to get their heads around as well, and we need to do a better job of explaining it. Do you think um, you also are having a positive impact in getting other super funds to sort of think about how they do things? Because obviously mm. you've been very successful mm. in staking out that position. We, we think we're, yeah, we play a good leadership role mm. there, and, um, and it is a competitive landscape, um, superannuation. So 
as much as we want to be good citizens, we want to be seen to be good citizens as well. We think that attracts our type of members. We think it's what the health and community services sector wants to see. But how do you talk about, I mean, you said earlier that, um, you know, you're not popular at barbecues, but I think uh, <laughs> the way you talk about superannuation is very alluring and interesting. I'll give it another go this summer, but yeah, yeah I think my yeah. friends are done. The, yeah. the season is going to come around and you can just be a whole new approach. But, yeah. but I mean, how do you, what are your secrets um, to making superannuation more tangible and yeah. accessible for people? I like to talk about the social element yeah. of it. It is, it is an incredible social movement. So to, to be working in industry super feels to me like the, the stages of Medicare when you are actually shaping the nation. Because if you look at the size of superannuation now, the, the pool of people's retirement savings is nearly $3 trillion. So you, we're, we are working in a system that will only keep growing from that point and has the, the actual ability to change the world. And I say I don't say that lightly. So that is exciting. Yeah. And as um, a finance professional, you, you know you can you can work in a really professional setting and be changing the world. Mm. Uh, that which that, is that, which is quite a rare opportunity, oh, isn't it? it? Is. Because I mean, Absolutely. if you were thinking about where are all my possibilities, I can go into a big company. Yep. I can be the CSR director. Exactly. Uh, and you know maybe I'm ameliorating um, negative impact. Yeah. I'll just keep my head down here. I won't look over there. Yeah, sweep up the corner, mess over there, and (laughs) very lumpy rug. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but this is um, very interesting. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting to me. I mean, when when I first talked to you about this, I was interested that you felt that super was the sort of it's the sort of like the where you chose to be to drive that change as effectively as possible. Yeah, because I hadn't thought really about you know I, I always used to think banks, but then I just think at the moment not a great time for the banks. Mm. But for super, I mean, it's not something that people would immediately say they're going to really reshape our our society mm. the way we need it to be. Mm. But but look, yep, mm. yep, it's we absolutely can. Hest has got about a billion dollars exposed to affordable and clean mm. energy initiatives. It's a billion dollars. That's um, it, it's it's significant, mm. um, and there are a lot of other super funds with that sort of exposure as well. It's been a real focus of ours, but we've also got an, a um, smaller but really catalyst catalytic impact investment model as well. So we're looking at how you measure the social impact of investments that still have a return that yeah. that you would expect from that asset class. Yeah, and um, and and that has helped to drive um, real size and scale in the impact investment mm. market. So the things that we can do to shape the world are, um, are they're limitless. And it, I mean, this is more of, a, I guess, a, a bigger question. But how much time should one spend trying to convince people who you know they don't agree with your set of values or beliefs, mm. particularly around some of the issues that you work in, so the um, gender equality and climate change? Mm. How much time or resourcing do you dedicate to kind of um, making the case, yeah. or do you try and? spend more of your time making the case to a friendlier audience per se? Well, look, I think most of the time has to be spent on systemic change yeah. instead of convincing the wins. non-believers. Yeah. yeah. There is um, – I have three children, uh, three young girls, and there is nothing that they need convincing about on either, any of those things. Mm. The, the next generation will not accept um, the the untruths that are spoken at the moment. Yeah. And they will look at us and wonder what on earth we have been doing. So is this maybe more of a generational bulwark 
to change mm. rather than, you know, a need to convince because mm. we know that, um, you know, most millennials and Gen Zers have a fairly positive view of the fact that climate change is real. We yes. need to do something. Yes. And the fact that we will need to take, um, you know, clear positive steps to uh, getting more diversity and gender equality. Yeah. So will it just be like as time goes on, this will automatically correct? Um, I think it. I, I think the belief automatically corrects. Yep. That doesn't mean that the change that doesn't mean they know how to drive change. Sure. So there's still a, a stack of work to do. Absolutely. And if we go back to that, I was saying before about the young girls who believe they are as good as the blokes, so therefore they don't need quotas. That is that is what still needs explaining. And I would love it if by the time they enter the workforce, we've fixed it hmm. so that they don't need quotas. But realistically, uh, they will still need a leg up because there is still privilege. And it's um and and it's unchecked and it's and it needs addressing, so they they still need I suppose systemic change and that's what our job is. Mm. On climate, it's incredibly urgent though. Yeah, um, and we need to take real action now, and they will need to continue to take that action. What we haven't managed to do though is show everyone what the world will look like. Mm. If we get all that right, I feel like you want to talk about twenty forty at this point. Oh yeah, we just had a screening the other <laughs> night. We did it for the people at Hester. But um, I was speaking to someone today, actually a very, um, very learned gentleman, who reminded me of uh, there was a book written about World War Two, and the need to get workers and the ordinary working Australian across the war effort. Hmm. And to do that, um, a story was, was sold, for want of a better word, I suppose to show them what the post-war world would look like, how it was going to be more equitable, how there would be a social security system. And so the war effort had greater support by being able to, we could see what we were fighting for. Now this is, that's a pretty extreme example, but we haven't managed to show people what it can look like if we are 100% renewable in this country, that there are jobs that will last generations mm in small towns where once there was mining. And we need to show that. And our members at Hester need to see that too because the health and community services jobs follow, you know, that that sort of industry job as well. Yep. Small towns could be rebuilt on the back of that. And I think that I'm a big believer that the environment that you see is sort of the environment that you work towards. There's a lot of signalling mm. effects that go on. Mm. So to see big battery installations like Musk has done in South Australia yeah. and some of the um, Hepburn Springs, springs uh, wind turbines, I think we were talking about the other yeah. day, you know, some of that stuff to go out and see that is really proof that it, it's all possible. Yes. It just needs to be scaled and become normal. Yeah. Mm. And we need to – so that's our job because if we leave that to the next generation, it's sort of too late mm. and it's their job to entrench it then. Um, so we've got, I think, a lot of work to do and we need to do it urgently. We can do it in the absence of policy. We can do it anyway. Yeah. But government needs to step in at some point. This is jumping back a little bit, but I, I missed the chance to ask you, you had your heart very much set on working at Hester. Yes. Did you have a backup plan? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it was, it was or nothing. Yeah, well, I was yeah, I was definitely going to um, find myself in the industry fund movement in some way. Yep. And um, that that is the fund that I mean, we call it out at Hester. We are the gutsy advocate for women in this country, and I don't think any other super fund stands like that. Yeah, so, so that was that a very was, lo- logical yeah. choice for you. Yeah, I would have been opening the mail there if that was the yeah. job <laughs> that had it happened. Yeah. Do you recommend that as a strategy for people who are looking to? change into a, mm. a job that they're 
that really drives them? Is it sort of a, a, a case of research? Find the one yeah. that really speaks to you and speaks to your, your soul, Absolutely. your heartstrings, and then just throw yourself at it? I think so yeah. because if you're going to get up every day, and we do dedicate mm. a lot of our lives to mm. work, mm. and many of us leave, leave families and loved ones to go and do that, then you've got to walk in with a smile on your face mm. and you've got to know what, what you're doing matters. And it can matter on a small scale, it can matter on a large scale, but it has to fulfil you or you'll, you'll burn out. How did you decide to, um, to enter the council, become mm. a councillor, and also uh, to become mayor? And how, did, how does one, like when you're mayor, can you also, are you working full-time yeah, as well? I did, okay. yeah, because I'm a mortgage payer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, just, it's just amazing. Like, yeah, it's, it was a busy year. Yeah. Um, and um, my workplace were very good about letting me um, go down to a nine-day fortnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's um, it's so fulfilling. So um, my family has been in politics at all levels forever. It's sort of it's the family business, a bit like the mafia. It's a family business. We try not to um, have too many links to the mafia. That's pretty much it. <laughs> but you do watch Sopranos. Totally. As an aside. Yeah, yeah. I try. <laughs> and the wire. <laughs> I don't get my workplace practices from that. So, um, so I was yeah well and I think when you have children as well and you set up in a community and you know here living in Alstonwick we we love the village right so you set your roots here and then you think I'm gonna be here forever yeah it's um it's like a relationship that you know you will be in love forever you're you're in love with Alstonwick I'm in love with Alstonwick and so um you think oh I can uh I, I better dig in here uh make some changes so there was a few things I thought that the council could do more on sustainability. Um, uh, there was some childcare things going on at the time when I decided to run. Um, I did so heavily pregnant with my third child. It was hilarious door knocking because some people are so polite they pretend not to notice that you are, in fact, <laughs> about to knock them over with your stomach. Um, and there was a fair bit of, oh, okay, um, you're going to do that like that? Do, yeah. Do you want to sit? Yeah. Like a seat? But, I'm not but, about to go into labour. Guys are awkward about that. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. it's not just guys, but no. like, I never know whether you're supposed to acknowledge. No, never. Not, not yeah. unless okay, cool. you are the doctor okay. and she is in labour. Good tip. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've been rolling with at the moment. Yeah. So I don't have to change how I'm approaching that. <laughs> no. That's good. Never. Um, and my other daughters were just, uh, I think they just thought that was normal life. Yeah. That mum just walked around and knocked on weird you know, people's doors and had conversations, really weird conversations. They must just think you are like a superhero being the mayor (laughs) and a full-time, you know, senior person. They they think that's what everyone does. Really? Yeah. So they've got these little... Environmental, like I said, signaling, you know? Yeah, that's right, show them. They've got um, little dolls that they played with when they were small. I think they're going to kill me for this, but those dolls would always make speeches. (laughs) And they would acknowledge the traditional owners of the land. Sometimes True. the dolls went through a pre-selection process. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And then you think, oh, I don't know whether I really muck these children up or whether this is a good thing. Well, life's an experiment, hey. We'll yeah, find out. we'll figure it out. We'll find out. The therapy bills will tell me later. Um, and so, yeah, I um, decided to run for local council. was really well supported by the community, which I'm eternally grateful and um, have been elected again. Um, on the second time I was elected, I served as a mayor for the first term, which I really wanted to do to mm. to to bed down the new council. Mm. I think I've, as I've um, progressed in my workplace career, I understand the value of a team, and we're very good at that in, in at Hester in the um, embedding culture and the way in which we do things, as we were talking about before. I wanted to do that at council as well, and now. That um, council, not just because of that, but because of the, there's incredibly talented people there, they're tight. 
yeah. and um, and they do things for the right reasons. And politics is left at the door, and we are um, we are on board with sustainability initiatives. We finally got um, food waste recycling in first you know council in Victoria to do that. It, the wheels of local government turn. Oh, incredibly slowly. Yeah. But six years later, you can you can the, put a pair the, in the You don't strike bin. me as somebody who's perturbed by slow progress on endemic issues. Well, that's I think um, I am learning through council that, yeah, sometimes you've got to work the system, right? Yeah. But you're also working on climate change and gender inequality. So what I mean is yeah. no, that's you're not right. going to give up just because it's hard nah. and you don't see immediate results. No. Is yeah. there? A, yeah, I don't know. Is there a choice? What are you going to do? I mean, I did think about crawling back into yeah, bed there, earlier. There, I think there really is no choice. No. Um, I think it's one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step kind of stuff. Absolutely. And just building on that yeah. every year. And you just, yeah, you, you do. You just you t- take any little step forward. Mm. I do get slightly frustrated when people will throw out the good in, in exchange for the perfect, they're looking for the perfect solution. And I think, no, I'll just yeah. take that little step. We'll yeah. just... We'll just have, have you that. always been that way as a person, like just know. one foot in front of the other? I think maybe so. Like it's hard to look back and remember that, isn't it? I grew up mm. in a um, large family. I'm the youngest of seven mm. children. And wow. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. One boy, but my brother, Michael, and then six girls. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, my dad's still around. He's 86 and he is, um, yeah, he's a learned fellow. Uh, we grew up on a farm, although none of us um, knew uh, how that operated? <laughs> <laughs> he sort of took all that, but he was—he made sure that we were um, highly educated, and that we had a sense of community. Mm. And um, I think it's that community building. Both he and Mum were very entrenched in, you know, knowing the neighbours and making sure that everyone felt like they had a sense of place. And that's where local government steps in for me. That's yeah. that's what local government can do. Whether you're in the city or the country, your job is to make sure everyone feels connected. Yeah. And so this um, little suburb that we now enjoy, I think, feels like it's got its own personality. Oh, it's um, it's terrific. I mean, yeah. I've been here for um, 11 or 12 years now, and I just showed you that I, I now live on the other side of my neighbours that I was living <laughs> next to before, which is quite funny. One of, the, one of the benefits of that is the lemon tree actually is over this oh, side. Oh, that's of the good. Fence. So you so, can stop trespassing in order to get the lemons. Well, they used to trespass here to get the lemons back. But, uh, <laughs> now, now that we've got a gate up, uh, we, we love our neighbours, but they probably don't listen to the podcast, so I'll, 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 I'll be able to disclose that. I decided the other day, I, there's so many lemons on my lawn, I'm going to make some lemon, lemon cordial. Nice. So I did that and it is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, people are enjoying the cordial. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in sampling the cordial, send me an email and I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> save you a small quart of that. <laughs> the Elstonwick Collective Cordial. But I mean, like Elstonwick, what I love about it, and I think one of the reasons it kept me here is um, always great cafe culture. Yeah. Great restaurants. Yeah. Um, as long as you know them and keep them secret. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, the classic cinemas. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's such a nice, and the way Glen Huntley Road has kind of transformed itself and even Riponley Village. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's, it's pretty awesome. We've got some um, – one of my major passions in local government is the heritage work yeah. because we have such incredible streetscapes. And um, and heritage work is not to stop people living here. It's to keep the feel, the look and feel mm. of it the same mm. whilst we move. Yeah. So uh, whilst we move and change, we don't want to lose – that link with the past. Like um, Bang Bang being built like it's yeah. the, the rifle club. It's the, the rifle, rifle range, yep. yeah. Yep. Old rifle range and we um, and that's Vic Track land, that little park there, yeah. but it's oh, it's just such a significant little little place for us. I just think that was really funny that they called it Bang Bang. I know, it's great, hey? It's, it's just hilarious, <laughs> very clever. I, I'm, I'm one for puns, you know. I feel yeah. like I'm a bit of a dad in waiting <laughs> for play. puns. I love yeah. the wordplay. <laughs> but um, Ripon Lee Estate as well is just magic. Yes, and, magic. You know, so now Glen Ira residents can get into that for free. Yep. 
So that's good. We give the National Trust some money on your behalf um, f- to, to use that. We've got the lowest amount of open space per capita mm. in any council in Victoria. Mm. So you've got to get smart. Yeah. Um, clever about the way you use open space and no no sort of stone unturned. And it's not really about big green sports fields. Mm. Open space to me in an urban environment is where do people gather? Yep. How do you build community? So it can be little. And we did we did a little one um, down the road near the railway line and it's it, it, people sort of thought, oh, well, what's the use of that? So of a summer evening after school, there are children there just kicking a soccer ball around yep. and they come from all the houses around the Bits. That is community building, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. And Getting so, together yeah. in the the green and the open spaces. Yep. I suppose even more and more important now given how digital and isolated people yeah. tend to become. Yeah, some some people, for some people their community is online and mm. that's great if they feel safe and mm. happy with that. For some people they need to know their neighbours. How do you um, manage to stay on top of everything? The council, you're on a couple of other boards, HESTA. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot that you've got on your plate and you're very yeah. passionate about all, all the things you do. Um are there any strategies you employ or things that you do to, you know, keep functioning on all <laughs> all fronts? Um, apart from wine. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of lot of washing in my house doesn't mm. get done. Mm. We've I seen know. mine, so we Yeah, we well, can, yeah, you know. it's the same. Um, the small things don't really matter. There's a lot of crossover in the bits of work that I do because mm. it's themed. So, um, and we can, I suppose you can hear that through the conversation, but so there, there is that. And I really, I enjoy the board work because it's, um, it's strategic and you don't deliberately don't get into the operations of it. So what that does is give your brain an area of thinking that's quite confined. Mm. Um, and it reminds me to lift myself out of the detail all the time. If I was a type of person who needed to be in the detail, I don't think I could do all the bits. Yes. So it's almost by definition um, it helps you sort through and, and the time management. Well, I think that's an excellent answer. I mean, you know, understanding the distance of strategy that's required for a board, but also what you said about working on a number of things that have common themes. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people I think that I've talked to on the podcast who are highly proficient, do heaps of different things, um, they don't see it that way because it's just clusters of mm. things they care about. Mm. So, I think I feel the same way, yeah, yeah. differently applied. But the same learning required for it. Yeah. Mm. And how about managing self? Do you are you a, like a, an exerciser or a meditator? I'm a yoga girl. Yeah. Um, I did my back like a like an old lady. I tell you what, I was bending down to pick up socks. <laughs> I was. I've got. I've. I've, been, I've had nearly a year to, to of think those, um, of a better story. Yeah, I've got to. My got children thought it was hilarious. Is, they bought hilarious. me a claw. They could pick up their own bloody socks. <laughs> I need That'd help. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did my back, and it gave me a bit of a fright because I'm 41, and I don't want to. I don't want to have back issues. So I've also thrown myself into um, – I've stopped I stopped running. Um, I'm back now, but I've thrown myself into Pilates a bit more. I feel strong. I love um, I love exercise for the way it makes your body feel. Yeah. I'm a total endorphin releaser for what that. What about your, your mind? Like does it yeah. also – I mean, I think one of the funny things about exercise is that it's um, its most potent effect is actually how you feel mentally yep. and about yourself and Absolutely. your current state. Yeah. So the entire time I'm going for a run, my mind is saying, stop it. Yeah. This is awful. Yeah. Yeah. And you just know you just have to get through it mm. and then at the end your mind will go, great, I feel great. Yeah, you're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, yes, I am. Um, yeah, but it's not like I don't do a lot of it if it's just enough. I have a um, standard Sunday morning routine, which the, the children are aware of. It's an hour of. Um, yoga I do in balaclava and then home in time to watch the insiders with a coffee now that um, Barry Cassidy's gone 
and so has my yoga teacher. I'm I'm feeling a Man, little. You, I'm feeling so abandoned. Yeah, feeling abandoned. So I So I will I will try and keep up that routine because yeah. I know there's something about it that's. I'll give you a good Sunday alternative yeah. uh, routine tip. This is something that I like to do. I walk down. The wife and I like to walk down to Elwood. Uh huh. Um, not that we think Elwood's in any way comparable to Elston Wick. It's definitely You're crossing worse. the border. I know. I know. <laughs> I'll come back. That's the main okay, thing. Yeah, so, so we walk down to Elwood, which is down Glen Huntley Road. Really nice walk. Mm. Then go all the way around and come back. Uh, it's about eight k total. That is a yeah. That's yeah, a fair walk. It's a nice walk. Takes yeah. like an hour or two, and then yeah. you, know, you stop for a coffee. You know, somewhere on yeah. the way back. That's nice. Um, it doesn't involve Barry Cassidy, which is a shame. But yeah. Well, he's now that he's retired, he maybe he could up. go with you. He could come. Yeah. yeah I'd totally be comfortable Just with that. Just you and your wife and Barry. <laughs> and Cyril. And Cyril. Of course. And Barry and Cyril. Yeah. <laughs> and Cyril's having a nice sleep, actually. Cyril finds me so boring. <laughs> he's literally falling it's asleep when, at my you, feet. No, your, your mistake was you started by saying people don't invite me to barbecues <laughs> because of the superannuation <laughs> talk. And Cyril was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to bed. Yeah, Cyril's, <laughs> Cyril is exemplifying how my friends. React Can when I, I talk you, about super. You are. He's never been this well behaved with any other guest. Oh. It's because you gave him attention. He wasn't <laughs> seeking it, so then he just went to sleep. It's amazing. It's cute. He's so cute. It's a pity you can't see him. People listening. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most excited about that's coming up, um, both in the Hester world and, mm. and your own world? I am. Um, oh, it's interesting. There's so much going on. Uh, there's there's a lot going on at local council level that I'm really really excited about because we're doing. Um, some social housing initiatives, some affordable housing initiatives. I am um, super keen to save the ABC studio and um, I, I, um, we've got some um, news on the heritage front there, which I'm hoping to share soon. Um, and we've got um, some really good sustainability initiatives coming up and we're also looking at um, at waste and recycling a little mm. bit more maturely and um, in a comprehensive way and this is a well-resourced council with clever people in it mm. um, and so we've got it just feels like sometimes we've got such good intent uh, that we will actually get some stuff done. And just like we did with the food waste recycling, it it sets the scene and the bar for other councils to go forward. And I want people to be proud of us and proud of their elected officials and what's going on. So I think at the end of so um, council elections 2020, um, I think whoever sort of steps in to either replace or join the current crop will be um, joining an incredibly strong team. Will you be around then? You're sticking around or what are you? I don't think I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a bit like a board where you've you've actually got to make room for new ideas. Yeah, and sure, if you haven't sure. managed to get done what you needed to get done in eight years, mm. then perhaps you were doing oh, so nothing. Be up to full term, basically. Yeah, yep. pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I can't imagine um, going around again. Mm. Um, and but it's it'll it'll be weird because I'll miss it because I'm actually quite a snoop and in council People let you in their houses, as you have done today, and I really quite like that. And so, um, and they do, they invite you in and sometimes they're, you know, telling you problems that you're either responsible for or need to fix, but it's such a welcoming and, and, and such an honour. I should have a list of problems, but uh, yeah, things are going don't. okay. Good God. I mean, we could probably just skip that tonight. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful. No planning application. Um at Hester in the world of superannuation, we are we are genuinely excited about um, the growth that Industry Super has mm. had, and how we are leading the conversation and worldwide conversation about progressive capital. And we 
are able to um, to stand toe to toe with the European funds on and the Dutch funds and the Nordic funds on where investment should mm. should go and what's what's to be done about the sustainable development goals. So that's that feels quite significant and lofty and exciting, and you think, oh. Here am I, girl from Colac. Nice. <laughs> yeah, just just getting along and doing that. Well, wow, that's heaps and so exciting. Yeah. Uh, so well, we'll have to get a part two as well and an update. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, I don't think we could use the tyranny of distance as an excuse. <laughs> I might <laughs> no, just bump into you at the cafe walked. and say, let's do a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we finish up, I'm curious, do you have anyone that you're kind of really like or struck by at the moment who you think would be great for the podcast or mm. someone that inspires you either in your own field or other fields? Oh, so many people. Um, I have some, um, I have a group of friends who live locally um, and they are, whether I say constant inspiration, they are constantly hilarious. Um, and, and I'm happy to pass on some of their names, but we call it I think we've been titled the bad mums. I'm not sure whether it's the, <laughs> uh, but having having friends, um, you know, who sit around locally, who pick up your children for you, who you know, do do all the helping of the village. They are my source of absolute love and devotion. Um, I've got a great family. The people who um, I'm reading and um, drawing inspiration mm. from. I recently met the wonderful Mr. Al Gore. Mm. And what I've learnt from him is that I remember him because I'm a political junkie and Mm. I, you know, knew him through and followed that election where, you know, all but for some ridiculous judgment in Florida, he was the the president. So um, but meeting him the other day and um, I was aware of him doing the climate change um, training and Hester sent some people to that. The people that our Hester um, compatriots were sitting with didn't know him as the vice president. Now he is an incredible example of creating change from outside the gates yeah. and living purposefully yeah. and dedicating yourself to an issue and um, and taking large actions and small actions and all the actions in between to see. He's an interesting example of that, isn't, isn't he? he? It's hard to find someone similar who's yep. sort of stepped away from a very very serious and senior mm-hmm. political career to just champion one thing. Mm. Um, Julia Gillard, I think, is doing mm, the same with mm, girls' education. Yep, yep. And true. um, and if if that's the model that she's using, that will be very successful. Yeah. And I think that that you can draw inspiration from that. If it, and I've made no um, secret of political ambitions before. Um, and, and I love local government. I think it gets a lot done. Other levels of government need to get things done as well. But mm. I, I'm constantly reminded that you can make just as much change from outside the gates if you are clear about your purpose. Yes. So that's um, quite inspirational. And then um, in the in the feminist movement, I happen to um, chair, which is a hilarious way of saying it because you've never met a group of harder people to chair. There's about 20 <laughs> um, feminists uh, with a ministerial advisory council for gender equality in Victoria. And uh, the likes of Hannah Asafari, of Joe Stanley, of, um, uh, of Van Badham uh, and uh, Fiona Vines and Peggy O'Neill and a lot of women who sit on this board and I sit there trying to corral their conversation. How do you go with that? Oh, so badly. <laughs> uh, I've never ran a meeting to time with these women. They are so good. They're, they're, they're the sisters, you Well, know? you have to send them in here. I'd love to I know, them. I know, yes, yeah. There's not, some, not all at once. No, oh, we'll you would have not it. survived. No, Cyril would be under the table we're, we're, just we're, whining. We'd be gone. <laughs> Um, they are, but the, the, those meetings you walk out and, and you, I don't know, it's uplifting. Mm. 
Um, women from the union movement, the same thing. So there, there's a lot. Look, there's a lot of people that haven't really given you a clear answer, but there are um, there are incredible people doing incredible things in this country at the moment. No, that is a very good answer because I'll follow up with you afterwards. The, the last thing I'm curious about is just in terms of like your own learning and mm. growth and development. Do you are you like a, reading any books at the moment that you're interested in? Are you listening to any podcasts? Mm. Are you um, a regular at any news sites you want to mention? <laughs> I, I, so I start um, start every day with Radio National because mm-hmm. I'm a dork. And yep. Frank Halley, yeah, is my constant yep. companion of a morning. Um, I'm reading a, a book called The Thinking Woman at the moment. Now it's drawing upon the academia of Marilyn Waring, who's a professor in the University of New Zealand, there's a Auckland, I think, mm-hmm. uh, who talks about the GDP measure and how it doesn't count women's work. Yes. So there's a, um, I can't remember the author, but The Thinking Woman is, is on my bedside table at the moment yep. as well as um, board papers and uh, definitely one, reading them. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not flicking through them. Uh, and I'm I'm actually doing the in, uh, Institute of Company Directors course at the moment too. So oh, awesome! There's a bit of Equally reading in that. Equally thrilling reading in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a fair bit of reading in that, and there's a fair bit of reading in council stuff. Um, Tell me that you're not doing the assessment for the company. Of course, of course, I am. Oh god. Yeah. You really are like a geek like me. Terrible. Yeah. I d- why do I need that kind of? I know. I, why have I signed totally myself don't, up? Anyway, anyway, whatever. Um, and I thought it was all due on 30 June and so I got really panicky and started doing things and then they, um, I realised I'd misread something. It was due on the 30th of September and so now I've slowed down again. Why wouldn't oh, I just keep the pace up and know, get right? it done? Do you want my notes? I've got a really good PDF. Oh, I'm not sure you should be offering me that. I don't just for the sake Sorry, of the podcast, I'll just, I absolutely I'll just do the, not the, want the, to cheat I'll about that. i just ask the producer to edit that out. <laughs> it's open book. You're allowed to share notes. Oh, really? <laughs> but, but, no, but, I totally want them there. Anyone else out. got some notes for me? <laughs> um, yeah, so doing that. Um, I listen. I, uh, I do listen to um, ladies. We need to talk about that. Yep. On occasion, um, and there, and I don't mind a true true crime podcast when I'm cleaning I the like house. A crime. Yeah. As a podcast. Yeah. Not actual crime. No. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, because of the mafia reference earlier. Yes, I think obviously. you are going to need to clear yeah. that up. No one sleeping with the fishes here. <laughs> <laughs> this American Life, though, how good do they do it? But they do it. I don't know. Podcast. I've never listened to oh, This American Life. Yeah. I feel like ashamed as a podcaster that it's like being a TV producer and never having seen no, The Sopranos. I think I should walk out. It's now. a crime. Yeah. No, not yet. <laughs> um, yeah. That, what else is happening? That's that's really the the end of it. Um, awesome. Of an evening, I listen to my children reading. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Sometimes I try and read with them. Are they good? Into that. Yeah, they, yeah, I have a 6-year-old. She's yeah, she's a cracker at yeah. reading. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. She's an she's an odd child. Like I like her, but she's odd. Right, <laughs> <I'm glad, laughs> like I know. She said this she announced the other day that every family needs a weird one. Is she the one that does the acknowledgement to country? Yes. A, yep. That yep. Is, that is yep. so funny. That's amazing. <sighs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> how, how can people uh, learn more about your work and connect with you should they want to have a chat? Oh, um Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, although, you know, we've been in ga- – oh, I'm a bit worried about Facebook. Anyway. You are LinkedIn easy as well? LinkedIn is easy. LinkedIn? I do. Good. Yep. All right. Yep. Keep all my socials up to date. Beautiful. Hashtag. You have to these days. <laughs> Got to become irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for dropping in. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? You could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. 
Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.